everybody, welcome back to another episode of Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, It Hurts. Do you like Very my nice. Do you like my homage to Metroid, the original from the NES? I, I, I heard it. I, I felt where you were going with that. That was delightful, sir. Yeah, I um, as always, it up. I am. <laughs> I appreciate any 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 fresh air in the corridors is always a delight. Good sir. Just wanted to add that spice, that little MSG to our little podcast because <laughs> that's MSG. what I'm all about, baby. MSG, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, this is our 27th episode. Um, I am JJJ, a.k.a. the Six Button Samurai, and with me, as always, is my fantastic co-host, chiming in from Japan, Mr. Game Agent E.T. How are you, Eddie? Oh, goodness. I've been recovering from my first bout of COVID. Yay! Oh, boy. It finally happened. And yeah. I'm surprised it took this long because of my line of work as a English teacher in Japan, where I'm in front of literally hundreds, close to thousands of different students every week or two weeks. And you didn't get it from being contro, did you? Uh, I'm going to see if that's uh, <laughs> medically possible, but uh, way, I don't like close, that <laughs> Yeah, um, for people who don't know what a concho is, um, it's a Japanese schoolboy prank where it's really disgusting, where imagine doing the finger guns with both your hands and directing it towards a person's anus while someone's not looking. And jamming it up their anus so hard. And they find a lot of pleasure in that. And I don't know why. I think it's a part of Japanese culture that should be stricken from the record books and never, ever <laughs> to be practiced again because it's so disgusting and it's not fun. I'm just for glad anyone. We're, we're coming back on a really classy <laughs> note. You know? Yeah, I mean, a month, a month out of the game. Yeah, you just need to concho some energy to this to this room. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was on the shelf. Oh man, I I couldn't speak uh, when I had COVID because I was so backed up. My throat was so sore. I didn't cough much, but when I did cough, I was coughing up. Uh, uh. I don't even want to say yeah. I don't want to give you that mental image, but it was terrible. I mean, because of the network-based nature of the way we do this show, obviously, yeah. like, us infecting one another was not a possibility, but I remember talking to you the day before we were scheduled to record two weeks ago, and you're just like, uh-uh, I can't talk. And I'm like, yeah. that's, that's gotta, if you can't talk, uh, you can't podcast. Yeah, that's it's the moneymaker right there, you know? No moneymaker, no show. That's, sorry, no, that's the way it goes. No, no dulcet tones from Eddie yeah. means no show. Yeah, I kind of feel like Dirk Diggler, you know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. walking on the set. I, I, I'm not going to ask you again, Jack. Yep. <laughs> it's your big, big voice. <laughs> you have to talk to <laughs> You want me to start talking to him? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Oh. My big voice. I'm the king of podcasts. <laughs> your big voice. You're the king of Ed. <laughs> what state do I have to be in? The state of Osaka? The prefecture mm. of Osaka? 
We don't have states here. It's a prefecture. <laughs> uh, I think I'm due for a Boogie Nights rewatch. Oh, we anyway, all are, man. Um, great movie. Great movie. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been sidelined for a bit, but we're getting back on the horse today. Um, I want to jump right into a game that I've been playing that is probably the freshest, like, it's very seldom these days, and of course I talk about my woeful backlog all the time, but um, we had a very surprise game release. Um, there was a big sort of Xbox developers event, and they talked about a variety of games that, you know, kind of got pushed off of the release list from 2022 and have landed in various places in 2023, but... A total surprise to all involved was the release of a brand new Xbox exclusive that came by way of, uh, I want to say the studio is called Tango. Um, Tango Gameworks? Yep, Tango Gameworks, published by Bethesda. Um, It is called Hi-Fi Rush. Um, Shinji Mikami of Devil May Cry fame, uh, one of the producers on this game, and of course Resident Evil. Um, this game, it's funny because like, I feel like it it presents an interesting little nexus of like a variety of things that are sort of hot button issues in the industry right now. But I want to first just discuss it as a game because it's a really good game. It's a really exciting and interesting hybrid of ideas. I want to know about this game because this is actually probably one of the first games I've seen. I don't watch these uh, presentations often, but I did just just for research, Uh, Mm -hmm. not even prompted. I just said, you know, maybe it's going to be something that's going to be talked about on our show uh, soon. And I watched it and I saw that that game Mm -hmm. and that game is I actually want that game. Yeah, and um, that would be one of the reasons why I would get an Xbox right now. But you know, I think most gamers our age can remember the first time they laid eyes on, you know, obviously the the most famous yardstick or game that really put cell shading on the map. I think to most people would be Jet Set Radio on the Dreamcast, and I felt very much the same sort of delightful energy from the visuals in this game because uh, this game is making magnificent use of the hardware it is unbelievably bright it is shockingly well animated it's an absolute color riot in your face um in terms of the gameplay it's kind of an interesting hybrid animal because you've got some platform elements You've got some sort of on-rails moments, um, but primarily you're talking about something that is a sort of Bayonetta or Devil May Cry style 3D action game. Um, The wrinkle with this game being that your basic moveset and combos all adhere to the beat. Um, Mm. Not quite in as strict of a manner as, say, um, Cadence of Hyrule. Um, it's definitely a little bit more forgiving than that. And I would say slightly more forgiving than like the Bayonetta games or, 
you know, a lot of those other sorts of 3D action titles. But um, the game is just absolutely oozing with charm. It is a technical marvel. Um, I believe the guys at Digital Foundry are already talking about how they're pretty sure this is a game they're going to be talking about at the end of the year for either a game of the year thing or at the very least for its visual approach. Um, wow, that good, huh? Yeah. There's also some really interesting um, choices with licensed music in it. Um, oh, God, why can't I think of that overplayed band that... <laughs> it's, it's that not Nickelback, song, though, is it? It's not Nickelback. No, it's not Nickelback. <laughs> Thank God it's not Rob Zombie's Dragula either. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Don't ruin that song. Please don't ruin that song. It's... Uh, Oh, it's the Black Keys. Duh. It's the Black Keys and their song Lonely Boy. But like the first boss battle was also to a Nine Inch Nails song. Um, really now? Wow. Yeah. And that was pretty cool. Um, there's also a really cool thing that the game does, which like I can only imagine this is something that's going over the heads of like probably 70% of the people that play it. But basically, there are moments where if you move into a new scene and it begins to play a new song, it literally does like the old MTV style credits in the lower left corner of the screen, like as if it was a music video. <laughs> oh, you mean like the name of the artist, the name of the band, the, the song, band, uh, the, the album song. that's on, yada yada. The al- so, yeah, the album, uh, yeah, the record label uh, mm-hmm. producer, In the exact same font. Wow! Um, so that's really like an, an interesting and clever t- callback, and like the game is literally like festooned with references. I mean, just your main character is kind of your very typical plucky brown haired hero. Um, but he even exhibits a little bit of like, you know, he's got like this right robot arm, um, and like kind of a long ragged flowing red cape. So like there's a little bit of Tetsuo happening. It's also kind of an Iron Man reference given the way, um, you know, the accident that sort of spawns his ability to, operate at the beat in the world is basically like his crappy little um faux ipod like being stamped into his chest in like this wow um, like robotic surgery machine um, that sounds pretty awesome like just yeah a really it's good really, really it's really creative hook into <laughs> the story yeah i mean yeah it's kind of out there but at the same time it's not cookie cutter, but it does have influences that mm-hmm. you can relate to. Like you said, Iron Man, definitely yeah. Iron Man. Yeah. But and it's just... in a tongue in cheek way that you kind of got to love it. Mm-hmm. There's That's also a why... cat sidekick that is very reminiscent of the cat from Sailor Moon. Nice. Um, so, yeah, like it definitely wears all of its influences on its sleeve. Um, it's an unbelievably beautiful game, and I mean, shock of all shockers, like it's an Xbox exclusive, which yeah. doesn't happen terribly often, you know, without uh, involving the Master Chief. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> so it, it did help that Bethesda they acquired them, so mm-hmm. they got a little bit more from that vault to kind of work with. And if they do acquire Activision Blizzard, you're going to see more exclusives come out the door from them. Um, but what I really like about this, and I think some people are hoping this will happen more often, but the fact that it shadow dropped, nobody knew what the heck it was until it came out. I think that's a good deal for everyone involved because for a new thing like this, it kind of hits you right in the mouth. Like, wow, what, what the heck is this? And then, wow, this is actually really good. And then, You have it on the dev side where developers, they don't have a time period where they have to have this done like a deadline. They just go as much as they need to. They don't stress too much. There's no pressure. And then when it's ready, it's ready. And well, I mean, do go. we know that for certain though? Um, that's what I heard. I heard that it just okay. shadow dropped. No. Any sort of information before. Nobody knew a single thing about this game until they just dropped it right in front of us and said, Hey, we got something for you. It's well that's interesting too, because that's that's absolutely a page out of Nintendo's playbook, really, because that's a thing that they tend to do pretty often with a lot of indie titles on the Switch, where like they're doing their sort of indie showcase and then like two or three things shown in that showcase will be available for play immediately. And that's a really interesting way to generate excitement, especially at a time when you've had so many games that have slipped like way past their release date. You know, it's great to see that entire machinery of game releases actually work, you know, in the other direction. Where it's yeah. just like, Boop, here's a really cool game. It's a nice <laughs> surprise, you know? Everyone's yeah. happy. And I think uh, it really helps that it's on Xbox Game Pass, right? I mean, yes. if people really like it and they think it's worth just purchasing it outright, they can just buy it, right? I mean, because... Yeah, see, here, and this is where we begin to get into some of the... <clears throat> stickiness or negative aspects of this release number one um there's no physical release planned oh there's no news about that whatsoever and once it's gone it's gone i guess well and to complicate matters this particular game um Mm -hmm. on steam has that really terrible denuvo drm Oh, yeah, that stuff. We talked about it before. Um, It actually slows down your computer resources or console resources for, um, you know, the the ability to protect piracy, I guess. I don't know. We don't really know what's going on there. But it it basically, you know, uh, as a sort of protection scheme, like it's really mimicking a lot of like the worst aspects of bloatware. Um, yeah. And it also bodes really badly for, you know, preservation. Like what happens when this game eventually gets delisted from a digital marketplace? Like it's just gone. Especially you know? with the licensed music. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, there's always a time period once yep. you have licensed music. And it's unfortunate. Well, it's interesting, too, because it also that also dovetails with a lot of the kind of heated discussion about um, the recent Goldeneye re-release. Yeah. Um, and it That's true. really highlighted, like, how seldom you actually see licensed games get re-released because they're, you know, an absolute uh, snake pit in terms of trying to get rights to different things that were used for these sorts of games. Um, yeah. A lot of I don't know that I want to derail this with like an entire like sidebar well, on Goldeneye. Um, but, uh, but you do have a good point. I mean, just in general, uh, uh, the, the, the companies that make the consoles and the companies that make the games, they, they're playing on a new, on a new field where they get to control a lot more of what's going to happen with these, mm-hmm. the future of these titles. And it's going to be harder to enjoy games because you never know when the rug's going to be pulled right from underneath you. I mean, just recently, Rumbleverse, which hasn't even been out for a year, I don't think. A right. lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of people are enjoying that game, but there's an, a following, a good following, because it's a great game. They're already talking about shutting down the servers. And then once that happens, you can't play it anymore. And don't you feel devastated as a gamer and as a developer? I mean, geez, I, I I talked about my friend who used to work at EA. He, he had, he worked on games that were on mobile devices. And then once they're off the Iowa, uh, the, you know, the app store or whatever, Mm-hmm. That's like your whole work gone. No one's going right. to be able to play it again. And people well, who man, love that game, they don't get a chance to... I mean, they get a chance to say goodbye, but they don't get a chance to play it down the road again because of yeah. just the terrible things that come with any sort of uh, smartphone OS where it gets updated so much that any old game is not going to work on it anymore. That's right. just the way it is, and it sucks. Totally well, it's sucks. interesting you you bring that up too because this isn't even limited to gaming. I mean, there yeah. was an enormous ruckus over um, kind of the merger between Warner Brothers and Discovery, and what that meant for a ton of content that used to call HBO Max home. Um, basically, you had entire swaths of the cartoon network library completely disappear. Um, That's terrible. You actually had an entire finished feature film with Batgirl that like quite literally it's more profitable by virtue of that entire business deal to just destroy the film and put it in a shit can forever rather than actually release the thing. So I heard that it was actually a decent movie. I mean, uh, accounts of this differ. Like it's interesting, you know, uh, they appointed two new people to 
run the DC universe. Um, everybody knows James Gunn, of course, from his directorial efforts with Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. um, and more recently, The Suicide Squad um, for DC. But it was he and Peter Safran. Um, Peter Safran was actually quoted as saying, Batgirl was not in a releasable state. Uh-huh. Which is a hell of a thing to say for something that like no one's ever going to get to actually see and evaluate for themselves. Um, unless it winds up leaking somehow. I mean, God only knows there's, there always seems to be some sort of path for that stuff to happen, but hopefully there's the a bro point, out there. Yeah, right. A Warner bro. Gotta be a Warner bro. Come on, <laughs> hook us up. Warner bros. Um, but the thing is like, I think the overall point is just that like it's a pretty dark time for like a lot of artists or people that love media where, you know, it's becoming less and less about like the consumer having any rights to ownership and just the very concept of ownership being challenged and watered down repeatedly. Um, yeah, it's getting to the point where we're just renting pretty much and it'll disappear in the in the ether. Yeah. On a whim. Yeah. No, it's interesting because um I was having this text argument with our good friend Optimus. Yeah. Um and Mitch, our mighty Mitch, uh king of the Ruminations Radio Network. Mighty Mitch, our, our dark man. prince and savior. Yes. Um, <laughs> we worship the ground he, he walks on. He asked Optimus a really great question about this stuff. He was like, so why is it? Cause he asked Optimus, he's like, why is it that you collect like 4k copies of movies, but your video game library is entirely digital. And he actually had a fairly rational reason for it. In his mind, he was like, well, when you watch a movie streaming, that quality is simply not as good as using a physical disc. When you play a video game as a digital commodity that's, you know, downloaded and then exists locally on your machine, cloud gaming notwithstanding, um, that's the same experience. So for Mm. him, he would rather treat games as like, all right, I need to play this while it's new, while it's fresh, and keep going. And I have to say, like, given my sort of horrific backlog of things that <laughs> yeah. I still not played or finished, there's yep. a certain there's a certain amount of logic to that that I can't entirely front on. You know, I still think <laughs> that like I want the option to buy physical, like whenever I can, especially if I love a particular game. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I'm also not opposed to digital purchases because there's a lot of things that I just want to play or try. And if I do try them, you know, if they really blow me away, then obviously there's something that I want to try and add to my library in a more permanent fashion. But, you know, at the same time, we also have another friend of ours, um, who never buys digital games and only buys physical copies. Mm-hmm. Because he just feels like the entire issue of digital ownership is so, you know, 
grossly tilted in favor of the big companies that control what exists in our digital storefronts. So, uh, again, like we, we wind up at some point inevitably discussing these same issues on a regular basis, but I think, you know, there's some of the most interesting and, you know, uh, consequence having issues as far as like the future of gaming, keeping that history alive and preserving, you know, all of these wonderful works that like a lot of really talented people put an awful lot of blood, sweat and tears into, you know? Exactly. It's like if you have the Mona Lisa or other works of art that are in threat of disappearing, <clears throat> what if the the museum that your favorite artwork is gets burned down? Right. It's gone forever. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> but, funny because yeah, I, 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 I think I made a point similar to that. And Hoptus argument was basically like, well, <laughs> you're not going to live forever either. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but at the same time, you want to preserve something for as long as possible so that other generations can experience it and enjoy the authentic item while it's still there. Because yeah. um it's going to be harder and harder to explain to uh new gamers or younger gamers hey i used to play this one game that came out 20 years ago but now it's gone forever because of something that happened with uh it being on a mobile device and the the ios or the operating system just got too advanced and yeah they had to take it off the uh app store and yeah i wish i could let you play this game somehow, but yeah, look it up on YouTube, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on the other end of the spectrum, and I think this is equally interesting, um, you know, modding communities, people that love games so much that they want to like design their own levels or tweaks or hacks have yes. become an even bigger an ever more indispensable part of gaming. And we learned some very interesting news about a game that you and I have been obsessed over lately. Um, yes. Do you want to tell people the shocking revelation about Pac-Man championship edition? Yes. Remake for Famicom. Yes. So initially we thought that, this was a demake that was completely made by the company M2, which um, you heard us talk about this company quite often in our podcast. They are a great group of people that have done a lot of things to bring retro games back into our lives, either as a straight port or as in like Sega Ages. If you ever played it on Nintendo Switch or 3DS, they would make enhancements to the games to make it uh, either more challenging or have more things to improve the quality of play, make mm -hmm. it a better experience, add new levels or new uh, little nuances to make the game even a little bit different, but still really fun. <laughs> Uh, we thought M2 actually made the Pac-Man Championship 
edition demake that you can get for uh, Namco Museum Archives that you can get on Switch and Steam right now. But apparently, this uh, demake actually started life as a kind of a homebrew type of game that a Japanese person who is on Twitter, I believe his handle is Coke774 or mm-hmm. 744. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. yes, this is a homebrew, a homebrew game that he did in 2008. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no actual ROM for it because of obvious reasons. If he had the ROM, he'd probably get in <laughs> trouble. But he showed a lot of footage on it on YouTube and Nico Nico, which is the equivalent of YouTube in Japan. And mm-hmm. he showed footage of it, like a you know, a good 20 minutes to an hour to two hours of the game running. And yeah. it looked a lot like the uh what you saw on the D-Make, the official D-Make from Namco themselves, Bandai Namco. But it had a different song, like it had a, a version, a chiptune version of Pac-Mania playing instead of the uh, music that you hear now on the current version that you can get. And right. also the sound effects were different because, um, yeah, they weren't arcade quality, like original Pac-Man arcade sounds. They were sounds that he he had to make up because he didn't have the resources but the the framework was there and yeah. um there's an article from Ars Technica that explains the demake uh how it originated and yes it's confirmed that this person in Japan who made this rom in 2008 to be playable on a Famicom he yeah. was the one that had this game Bandai Namco they don't have a real, real official story about it. They have said that it was based on his ROM, but they did embellish it. They made it so that now that it has uh, authentic Pac-Man arcade sounds, they changed the music. If you hear the soundtrack for the game, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. Yeah. And there are also some changes to the gameplay. The AI it's is got much better. as well. Well, and it actually had achievements on the original. Oh, really? Even the hack had had the achievements. Yeah, it had wow. it almost the same. Like okay. I said, the the differences you can see. Uh, if I'll link uh, the Ars Technica, um, uh, the the article on our Twitter page, and I'll try to figure out if we can do it on the, uh, you know, when we post our uh, podcast on Spotify or whatnot, if we can uh, add that link. But it's a really interesting read, and yeah. it's just a great feeling, I'm sure, for that guy who hasn't publicly acknowledged that he did it. Like, he didn't say on his Twitter, hey, this is me. Like, you can't see any traces of that right now, but yeah. you can see traces of it on archived pages on his YouTube and Nico Nico pages. Like, they're not existing now, but there are links to it from there's a very long trail of breadcrumbs leading back to this guy's work exactly so that's i mean that's really fascinating but at the same time like i think you correct me on this if if i'm wrong the attitude about 
like piracy and console mods is way more strict in Japan. Like people are much more likely to get arrested or face charges for stuff in that realm. Cause I remember you were telling me about the variety of game bars that were experiencing a lot of trouble or having to shut down because the game companies there, as you can imagine, have extraordinary influence and it seems Mm -hmm. like they've got a lot more ability to just be like, uh, you guys need to shut that down. We don't want that. (laughs) Yeah. Litigation is definitely something you want to avoid in Japan Mm -hmm. because ending up in jail is going to be a job killer for anyone that wants to work in Japan, whether you're, you are a Japanese person or a person that is not of Japanese descent living in Japan, you get arrested, you get in, in jail, you're going to have a hard time finding any line of work in a, any sort of reputable company. So that's from what I've experienced though. Not, personally obviously i've never been arrested i've never done anything right. bad but i've i've seen some incidents uh to be honest yes i have <laughs> and i've heard you know stories that you know the scared straight stories that you get when uh you enter the jet program which is uh the teaching program that i uh uh joined uh to come to Japan in the first place, they gave you mm-hmm. a few stories about, Oh, this person uh, decided to smoke marijuana, which is uh, considered a hard drug uh, here in Japan. And he ended up in prison for about six months before he got deported and he could never come back again. So again, right. there you go. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and this person no, uh, drank while drank alcohol while riding a bicycle, which is also considered a, uh, a big crime here and ended up in jail and got sent back. So don't do it. <laughs> yeah. So. They don't really not the law. There is not really known to play around on the subject no. of controlled no. substances and uh, law enforcement. If they have a hundred percent chance to nail you to the ground, they will yeah. do it. If mm-hmm. it's 95%, they'll be like, uh, you're getting real close, but you better watch your back. But right. if they have 100%, all going to jail. No, yep. You're going to jail, buddy. You're going to lose all your rings. Yeah. Like Yuji Naka. Yeah. Yuji Naka. Is he going to have to move to America to start making games again? I don't, I, I don't know what the sentence would be. I mean, it's not like in America. Well, it could be like America where the the trial would be pretty long and drawn out. It right. could be years until this is settled. And mm-hmm. I don't know exactly if he's in actual prison or if he's under house arrest. I don't know what I, I, I don't know the details, but. He's going to be in court for a long time. That's all I got to say. And yeah, I don't know if that was worth it, buddy. I don't know if inside trading was worth it. You're going to lose at least this good chunk of this upbeat imprisoned note. um, (laughs) We're going to take a break to acknowledge our friends at the ruminations radio network. Be right back. 
Hey kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. We are back. Uh, that was a great break. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, like Cotter. At yep. any rate, um, Eddie, you had a very interesting big question that spawned from a bizarre <laughs> news story involving a NASCAR oh, yes. driver and his love of GameCube. Share that with uh, with the okay. audience. Okay, I might get this wrong. Forgive me. Uh, I did try to read it a couple times before I I could uh, I, I present it to you um, because I'm not knowledgeable about the actual sport. But there is a person named Ross Chastain who is a NASCAR driver, and uh, recently uh, he was in he was in a race and he was falling behind, and there was a only uh, a few laps to go, I believe. And uh, what happened was he had to make a business decision because uh, he needed to get, I believe, uh, at least fifth in the race mm. to qualify for the championship <laughs> run that they had mm-hmm. at the end of the season. I'm not sure. Like I said, don't kill me if I get this wrong. I mean, it but, just but he chose something drastic is the yes. major point here. <laughs> so he did what he used to do as a child when he played a NASCAR game on GameCube, Nintendo GameCube. He would run his car towards the wall and he would just floor it and just uh, let the wall kind of guide him. Yet at the same time, because the wall guided him, he could just blast through uh, through uh, some of the competition to uh, cross the finish line. And that's exactly what he did. And uh, a lot of people were shocked that he did that. And then when he uh, did the interview, he said, yeah, I did this on GameCube when I was a kid. I was wondering (laughs) if it would work. (laughs) And lo and behold, he... uh, he was rewarded for his efforts, but uh, recently this week, uh, NASCAR said, uh, yeah, uh, about that. Um, that's cool that you did it, but you can't do it again. Anyone that wants to do that, mm, you're going to get disqualified because of the fact that you're endangering lives, which is true. Yeah. It's dangerous. You're endangering lives. You're kind of taking a dump on like the sanctity of the race, in a sense, because... You know, you're you're deploying this destructive high-risk tactic that, you know, every other driver's natural inclination here is, oh, don't get too close to the wall. And you're just, like, (laughs) barreling down the side and (laughs) scraping and grinding the entire way. Yeah. Like, it's definitely an amusing idea. Um, But, yeah, I mean, hey, uh, the know. game let me do it. Why can't I do it in real life? That's all I got to say. Right. But, this is this is like after you know one too many fumble rooskies <laughs> being executed <laughs> carefully. <laughs> but it would be interesting. 
interesting to see like if they ever make another NASCAR game, which I I don't think they have for a while. But if they mm-hmm. do, if EA or other another company decides to make one, do they instill install this new rule? <laughs> right. And would they be able to do it? Like, would they the AI be able to recognize? Hey, you can't do that. <laughs> right. We know Ross Chastain. I know that he kind of did that in our game. You know, when he was a kid, and you know he got away with it, but not anymore. Can't do yeah. it. It's not. It's in the rule book now. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be nice. But yes, um, it was a funny story. And uh, I kind of kind of got the wheels turning on my head <laughs> with this uh, big question that, you know, we haven't had one in a while. So um, I don't know if it'll make its triumphant re- return for, you know, forever uh, or if it's just a you know, a one shot thing, but here's they my just question. These out as they, as they occur to us naturally. Yeah. I think like we're not fair. forcing the big questions anymore. Exactly. It's one occurs but, to us. Wonderful. But, but if we see fit, if we see something that's interesting that we want to talk about, we'll bring it up from time to time. So just, you know, please exactly. understand, please understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, here's the big question. <laughs> So, have you ever done something in real life that was influenced by a video game? And if you haven't, what would you like to try out in real life that you have seen or done in a video game only? So, James? I gotta be honest here. The first part of the question, Mm -hmm. I definitely can't think of any sort of action or plan or motivation for trying something based on something I've experienced in a game. Like I've never gotten a direct idea like that, but you you mean you never thought that, you know, after you played super Mario brothers two, the U S version that if you crouch down really low for like at least two seconds, you can jump super high. You never tried that. It it works. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just unimaginative. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, I can remember back when, like, uh, there are, like, shades of this. Like, I can remember back when the Tony Hawk games dropped. I was probably about a decade removed from the last time that I owned and regularly rode a skateboard. And it did really briefly make me think, oh, God, like, I should go back to skating. Like... I miss that so much. And like this video game has awakened that impulse and like, no, that never actually happened. I never followed through with that. But if you could, if you you could like realistically, mm. if was there something that you saw in Tony Hawk that you said, maybe I could do that. If no, I was never a very good skater. Uh Uh-uh. (laughs) <laughs> please My explain thing, your your skating skills for uh, a person like me who has <laughs> never skated before like what was the extent of your skills here's, uh, very low um could you turn just involved um yes i could turn i mean i could turn <laughs> i could do some short grinds some really low altitude ollies um But, like, my main thing was, like, using it as transport. You know, I would take my skateboard to school. 
or it was also really fun to like go to the top of parking garages and then just go really fast and carve all the way down. Like that was a Mm. good time. What's the most dangerous thing you have done on a skateboard? Well, you, I know, could it's a little amass bit. A, you could amass a hell of a lot of speed going down a parking garage, like yeah. depending on the grade and how many ramps there were. Like, you could be really hauling ass by the time you get to the bottom of one. Did you did you biff it pretty hard one time? I fell countless times, man. I mean, I was lucky in that I never actually broke anything, but I would like skin the fuck out of my knees or elbows or you know, mash my tailbone really hard if I like fell straight back. So, but, but, um, how long did you skate back in your youth? Like how many uh, years? Or maybe like four or, or five years. Wow. Like from like age 12 through 16, 17. And then just, eh. Huh. Yeah. But that's cool though. I mean, I mean, the other, you know, the, the other, the other side of this, I was going to say is that sometimes like, if I play a game with like a water stage, like Kirby in the Forgotten Land or like mm-hmm. Super Mario Sunshine, I do yeah. get a Jones to go swimming. Yeah. <laughs> it does actually happen. <laughs> so, uh, what about you, good sir? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to bring up something really dumb because I was a child and. I was heavily influenced by a classic game called Double Dragon in the arcades. And Double Dragon, if you don't know, is a classic side-scrolling beat-em-up with two two, uh, (laughs) brothers, Billy and Jimmy Lee. And (laughs) this game was fantastic because there were a lot of things I liked about this game. Number one, it had the word dragon in it and... I love dragons. I love the art on the cabinet. I love the uh, title screen uh, with the dragons on it. And uh, my uh, Chinese zodiac sign is dragon. So I felt nice. a kinship to this to this game. Number two. You and Cisco. Yes. Dragons. <laughs> yep. Um, the second thing is uh, this game has a lot of cool martial arts moves. I don't know how realistic they are, but um, they had some of the coolest looking and just beefiest. I love beefy. Um, (laughs) Anyways, the beefiest sound effects you could ever hear in a video game at that time. And just the impact that these moves seem to have was just glorious to watch on the screen and to to actually perform on the game. Mm-hmm. One of these moves that I was really infatuated with was the elbow punch, which I believe if you press the jump and the punch buttons at the same time, your character will put his hands together and then extend the elbow right in someone's face. And wow. I don't know how practical that is. <laughs> <laughs> because mm-hmm. it doesn't look it didn't look like anything I've ever seen in a movie, in a martial arts movie or any sort of uh 
thing that I saw back in the day uh, in, on TV or whatever. We didn't have YouTube or anything. So mm-hmm. I didn't have any access to martial arts tournaments or anything like that. But it just looked cool as hell. So yes. what I like to do when I was young was I go, to up, I go up to my older brother and I'd say, hey, big bro. Hey, big bro. Hey, hey. <laughs> and I would do the elbow punch out of him. And nice. I would do it very often because I am the youngest in my family. And I was the hyperactive bratty kid that <laughs> wouldn't leave you alone. So you can imagine how annoying I was to my big brother going up to him whenever I could and say, hey, big bro. Hey, big bro. <laughs> Did he understand what you were? Did he understand what you were referencing? Yes. (laughs) That's why he kept saying, "Cut out, stupid." He'd say, "What's the matter, Billy? It's just you and me on these streets. (laughs) You can't handle the streets, boy." (laughs) I have to admit. I mean. That move looks so easy to do, and that move was so OP. It was so overpowered. Right. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I wonder if I could do this, and I wonder if I could hurt people. Like, you know, in quotes, I obviously didn't want to hurt someone, but right. I just wanted to know if it actually was a move and if it was that strong because in that game you can literally do that move for almost any character any enemy and Mm -hmm. they would fall for it and it was so fun to do and that beefy sound effect (laughs) it was just as a kid you have that in your head and it just was so entertaining to me and that's uh, I bless bless my, my brother he had yeah. patience of a saint, you know, not putting his fist into my face, you know, <laughs> for doing that to him all these times, all those times. For being an annoying little <laughs> shit trying to elbow him. Yes. <laughs> it's because of him I live to this day because he could have easily killed me for such insolence. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I um, just I just love that move. Yeah. Just uh, as uh a nugget of advice for our listeners. Um, yes. If you are jonesing for some reason for the double dragon experience, don't play the first arcade game. Don't play the second arcade game. Don't play double dragon neon. Sorry, way forward. <laughs> play double dragon. Advance. I'm not sorry. it's like if you asked uh i don't know quentin tarantino to make a star wars film or something you're like uh this is not what i ordered (laughs) but yes wait please continue yeah double dragon advance is the best double dragon game yes it's It's the best double dragon game when it came out Mm -hmm. it's the best double dragon game now it's going to continue to be the best double dragon game, most likely. Yes, it's a or Game Boy Advance of... title. Yep, that would be very hard to get now because of uh, eBay prices. But <clears throat> you can uh, probably find a way to play it somehow. Again, like there's such a rare category, and like it's funny because this even ties back into like the Pac-Man Championship Edition remake. 
mm-hmm. and Sonic Mania, which is also a game that sort of spawned from fan efforts and rose to become an official release. Um, Double Dragon doesn't have that same lineage, but it is also of that rare ilk where like they took the original source material so seriously and then built upon that in a way that was completely faithful to the originals, but just gave it some wonderful new gameplay juice. Most definitely. I mean, I think it just hit a lot of good notes. It took a lot of uh, the things that really worked in terms of aesthetics, the way it looked, the way it felt. They added so many new moves that are just really satisfying to do. Um, And there was evidence of that in the Super NES one, right? Like, there were some elements... Like, there were new gameplay elements that came about in the Super NES one, but they took them so much further with Double Dragon Advance. There's a reason why. Um, The reason why the gameplay is so satisfying is because there's a man, his name is uh, Muneki Ebinuma. He is the person who was the director of Double Dragon Advance, and he is a martial arts uh, choreographer. So he knows his stuff, and that's why when you see the fighting in that version of Double Dragon compared to any other fighting game, I'm sorry, uh, any other Double Dragon game, it feels way better. Because he he just knows. He knows how moves work in real life. And he also did a Dead or Alive game as well. I think it's Dead or Alive 3. He did the choreography. uh, uh, I don't know if he did the actual fighting or he was directing the fighting, the mocap and all that, the motion capture stuff. But he had a hand in that too. He knew his stuff. Um, But yes, because of him, that game just was beautiful. And you compare that to the most recent Double Dragon game, which is Double Dragon 4, which took sprites from Double Dragon 2 from the NES, who God knows why. And it still shocks me that that was an Arc Systems product. And the original director of Double Dragon kind of green-lighted it and actually worked on it, I believe. So it was like... uh, I I wonder if they were just up against some, like, terrible, terrible deadline. I don't know, but... That feels like the only, like, logical explanation for it because it's such a thorough disappointment. Yeah, it just... Number one, why did you choose Double Dragon 2 NES? as your base number two the platforming that you have to do in that game is kind of confusing and it just smacks of mediocrity uh what what meter meter it's just mediocre (laughs) excuse me for not being verbose but uh i just you you had it (laughs) mediocrity yes mediocrity but voting in America has nothing to do with this. <laughs> you gotta help me. I'm sinking. Help your friend. <laughs> Don't let me sink here. 
<laughs> but anyways, yes. Um, it's just a mediocre game that really is disappointing because it's like you had the formula in Double Dragon Advance. If you had Double Dragon Advance to arcade sprites, now we're talking a little a little game here. But yeah. why would you choose Double Dragon 2 on the NES where the 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 hands the arms looked real stubby in that game. I mean, granted, they look like when I was they basically kid, look like was, Lego people. Yeah, and <laughs> it, it, it had moments where it was strictly to, like a two D plane with no ability to go back and forth in the uh, foreground and background. And yeah, I don't know why they went in that direction. Just that art style and that play style. It just. I mean, I, I thought it was okay as a kid because that's all we had. Mm-hmm. We couldn't expect arcade quality from an NES, but I mean, what, 20-some years later? Why do you bring yeah. this out? It just confuses me. When you had Double Dragon Advance and that was like the best you ever made. Why At not? any rate. <laughs> Dig up a copy of Double Dragon Advance. It's the best one. I still have um, mine, my legit copy. Yeah. It nice. will be buried with me in my uh, suit pocket when I die. Mm-hmm. Along with uh, my Street Fighter replicate that I got from nice. my Wave Toys. Yes. Good times. Yes, yes. All right. Um, well, yeah. we are actually out of time now, but this oh. has been a delightful chance to reunite, and hopefully we will be producing episodes at a regular clip for the foreseeable yes. future from this point. So Sorry, as always, sick. no, you, every, everybody catches that at least once. Uh, <laughs> um, thanks to everybody for listening in on another fine episode of Oh God, it hurts. Um, as always, we urge you to check out the galaxy of great programs right here on ruminations radio network. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. We love you. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.